think we can all honestly say that Jerry, we know what to expect, but Jeff, we never know what to expect. <laughs> or how he's going to use scripture. I can't imagine what the children's worship leaders must go through after you send them out, Jeff. <laughs> well, our scripture this morning is Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to turn there. I'll be reading the first six verses. The Apostle Paul writing, said, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You know, I was thinking this week, as I'm working on my doctorate, I'm, there are two words we used to dread growing up when I was in school that I don't have to worry about now. And I'm sure Summer and Nicole can identify. The two words were pop quiz. You walk, you're sitting in class and the teacher... First things out of their mouth is, put away your books, take out a pencil and a piece of paper. We used to dread those words. Well, for those of you who miss those good old days, like Melissa, I have a pop quiz for you this morning. So if you want to pull out a piece of paper, you don't have to put away your Bibles, though, because they won't do you any good. If you want to use the back of your insert, you can. I'm serious. Pop quiz. Think about your house, how you decorate your walls. For every scripture plaque you have on your walls, give yourself five points. If you have any inspirational poem wall hangings, you know, give yourself three points. If you happen to have the footprints one, give yourself an extra bonus of ten points. If you have any print depicting Jesus, for each one you get five points. If you happen to have a print of Solomon's head of Christ, you get a bonus of two points. If you have a print of Jesus in the garden praying, you get a bonus of two points. And if you have a paint-by-numbers painting or needlework of Jesus, you get an extra 15 points. Now, if you have salt and pepper sh shakers that have the words, you are the salt of the earth, you get five points. There's a plaster of Paris plaque of the praying hands, you get ten points. Okay, now you've got to think. For every Bible you have in your house, you get 20 points. If you have King James Version, you get an extra five points. And if you have a Schofield Bible, you get an extra 10 points. Now, for each missionary prayer card you have displayed, you get three points. If you have an ashtray, take away five points. 
And if you have a daily promise box on the breakfast table, you get 10 points. And if it plays standing on the promises when the lid is open, you get an extra five points. Now, if you erect a large illuminated Santa Claus and reindeer on your roof at Christmas time, Melissa, you take away 50 points. Very good. Now, for each reference book you have in the Bible, you get 10 points. If you happen to have a Danny Orlis or Sugar Creek gang book, you get five points. For every Christian biography you have, you get three points. For each Christian pop psychology book, you get two points. And for each Christian romance novel, you get five points. Okay, Desi? Yes, I know some of your reading preferences. If you subscribe to Moody Monthly, you get 10 points. You get Decision Magazine, 10 points. Christianity Today, 5 points. Eternity Magazine, 5 points. Virtue Magazine, 5 points. The Christian Herald, 5 points. Any Missions Magazine, 5 points. Charisma Magazine, are you sure you're taking the right survey? <laughs> and if you take the Wittenberg door, you take away 10 points. Now, if you have any albums by George Beverly Shea, Bill Pierce, or the Moody Chorale, you get five points. Any of Amy Grant, Sandy Patty, or the Gaithers, three points, and this kind of dates this quiz. And if you happen to have an album by Striper, take away five points. Now, add them up, up all your points. If you have over 200... You are, without doubt, a good testimony. In fact, you be, could be called a great testimony, so treat yourself to a week at a Word of Life camp this summer. If you have between 150 and 200 points, you're a fine example of a real Christian. Perhaps you could work just a little on some of the weaker points for the next time. If you have between 100 and 149 points, that indicates considerable, considerable lukewarmness you are in a serious pre-backslidden condition, so beware. If it's between 50 and 99 points, perhaps it's time for you to rededicate your life. And if it's 1 to 49 points, have you ever heard of the four spiritual laws? That is taken from a book titled Guba, for short for Growing Up Born Again. It's a good-natured, humorous look at the evangelical church culture in America. And at times, like in this quiz, it pokes fun at some of the messages we can unintentionally give about what it means to be a good Christian. Because the strength and maturity of our faith or of a church isn't an issue of how we decorate our house or the appearances we give or the right language we happen to use. It's not amount, the amount of activity or enthusiasm we can generate. These are all things that can be manufactured through performance and entertainment. It happens all the time. Just think of the last time you went to a movie and got teary-eyed. Or you were energized by watching some action film. Or disturbed by images of a crisis or a disaster in the world. If we're not careful sometimes, we can concentrate 
too much on showmanship and cosmetics. The strength of our faith is a matter of the heart and a life change, not feelings and appearance. Jesus accused people who did this kind of thing of being hypocrites, using a term that was used for actors on a stage who wore a mask and were merely acting out a role. Because the old saying is true, you cannot judge a book by its cover. There's a way to tell, though. God's word is clear about that. The true test of the quality of our lives of faith is seen in things like, how do you treat your spouse at home? How do you speak to one another? Are you patient with your children? (laughs) Honesty, that's good. Are you able to hold your tongue when you get upset? What about gossip and griping? What type of employee are you at work? Or what are your business practices like? Do you keep your word? Do you demonstrate humility, or does your ego get in the way? Are you able to forgive and let go of bitterness? Those are the kind of things in Scripture that it says indicate the reality of God in our life and his working within us. None of us will be perfect. We're going to struggle in some areas more than others. But these are the kinds of things that are we to be are to be a growing part of our lives that indicate the reality that Jesus is living in us. Because as one person said, Jesus is rarely found in the gee whiz. He's much more likely to be found in the whole hum, the normal occurrences of life. That's where Paul's heading in the book of Ephesians. We've come through the first three chapters, and now as we turn to chapter 4, it's a transition time. The first three chapters, Paul was laying down the foundation, teachings and doctrine. And now he begins to look at application and more practical matters, how to live and make use of those teachings. So in chapter 4, he begins saying, Paul, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge with you, literally, I plead with you, I implore you to live a life worthy of your calling The word live means literally to walk. It refers to a behavior, how you act on a daily basis. For as important as right belief and teaching is, it doesn't really matter unless it's accompanied by right living. What matters is what difference it makes, not in Sunday and church, but what difference it makes Monday morning at 8 when you start work. Or Tuesday at 3 when you're in the midst of your activities. Or Friday evening when you're out with friends. That's where the reality of faith really kicks in. I urge you, he says, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. The word worthy is an interesting one here. We associate worthiness with merit. Deserving something. But in the New Testament, there's no connection with merit at all. As one writer pointed out, We are worthy of the gospel only as we receive it. No matter how hard you try, what you do, you're never going to merit God's grace and mercy. It's a free gift. Yet we're told, live a life worthy of your calling. The word worthy comes from a term which means to bring something into balance. 
Now, one evening several years ago, Lola and I were sitting in the living room when, without warning, one of the blades on our ceiling fan just came crashing down a foot or two from us. The fan wasn't even going. It just fell. Well, I wasn't able to fix it right away. And a few days later, we went away for the weekend, and my sister-in-law, Vivian, was asked to house it. And we forgot to mention the fan to her. Well, she came in, and she turned the switch for the fan, and it took on a life of its own, she said. It was swinging all over the place. It was out of balance. That's what life is like without Christ, Scripture says. We may be good people, but there's an important part missing, like one of those blades. We are created spiritual beings to have fellowship with God, just as Adam did in the beginning. And along the way, through our sin, our lives get out of whack and out of balance. So God, Scripture says, sent His Son to bring the balance back. A worthy life is a life that pays attention to, yes, your work and your family, your friends, your hobbies, that has fun. But it's also in, only in balance when Jesus is a part of your life when you take time for him. Paul is urging here to live a life of balance with Christ and God's word as a part of it, to live in a way that's consistent with your faith, to not just talk about it, but to live it. And chapters 4 through 6 of Ephesians is a call to balance. In Philippians 1, Paul said, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy or in balance of the gospel of Christ. So in view of all that God has done, Paul would say, in view of your salvation, of the blessings he's already given you, live accordingly, as a child, not a stranger of God. Galatians 5.25, Paul says, since you live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Or to paraphrase the writer, live in such a way that your life will not make sense if God did not exist. As you've been called not just to salvation, but to sanctification, to daily living, holy living, to live lives of balance, worthy of our calling. But we still need to address what does a worthy or a balanced life look like? And Paul doesn't leave that to chance here. He then makes five statements about the worthy life. He says, live, such a, live a life worthy of your calling, by being completely humble. One of the most basic, foundational of all Christian virtues, also one of the most difficult and unique. It's a concept that was despised by the Greeks and the Romans because in their mind it had the idea of groveling, of weakness, of something for slaves and servants. Humility was not for free men. And the world often sees humility as a weakness, as a negative, but God says it's a strength. And the way you live in balance with God is through showing humility. It's what makes ministry and service truly possible. And that is the example of Jesus, is it not? God in human flesh, not having to promote himself, to push himself on others, not having to prove his ability or defend his actions, willing to go quietly about his business, letting his actions speak, even to the point of going to the cross. Paul describes that humility when he wrote to the Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not just to your own interests, 
but also to the interests of others. Because, he says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. And being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. And Paul says that's how you are to live. To live a worthy life means to live in humility, willing to consider others, to look out for their welfare, not just our own. You know, our tendency is to draw attention to ourselves, what we do, to let others know about our good deeds, to make it clear even when we're sacrificing on behalf of others. That's why it's such a difficult virtue, because as soon as we start thinking about ourselves, we lose it. In contrasting this with what the world says, Charles Swindoll had written, Greece said, be wise and know yourself. Rome said, be strong and discipline yourself. Religion says, be good, conform yourself. Epicureanism says, be sensuous and enjoy yourself. Education says, be resourceful, expand yourself. Psychology says, be confident, assert yourselves. Materialism says, be satisfied and please yourself. Pride says, be superior and promote yourself. Asceticism says, be lowly, suppress yourself. Humanism says, be capable, believe in yourself. Legalism says, be pious, limit yourself. Philanthropy says, be generous, release yourself. But Jesus said, be a servant and give to others. To walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Be completely humble. But he also says, be gentle. A worthy life is a gentle life. It's the same word that we get the word meek from, another Christian virtue, one of the fruit of the Spirit that is not valued largely by the world around us because they don't understand it. It's considered weakness. But it's not timidity or lack of courage. Rather, it's strength under control. The word gentleness is a word that would be used for an animal like a horse who has all that power there, but it's under the control of its master. It's still just as fast and just as strong, just as powerful, but it's controlled and directed. That's gentleness. It doesn't take strength or gentleness to lose your temper. It doesn't take strength to lash out at someone who upsets you. It doesn't take strength to get even or to give in to temptation, or to let your desires control you. But it does take strength to control these things through the power of the Spirit. We're called to gentleness, which by nature means self-control. And it's necessary to live a life worthy of our calling, because without it, it's going to be out of balance. Passion will dominate. Desire determine actions. Gentleness is Jesus on the night he was betrayed. As he's sitting in his, the upper room with his closest friends in John 13, it says, He knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. He had all that strength at his disposal, and yet it says, So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, dressed as a servant, and proceeded to wash his disciples' feet the power of the universe, willing to take the place of a servant. Strength under control, meekness, gentleness. 
That's what we're called to be and to do. Not to prove ourselves. Live lives worthy of your calling by being humble and gentle. Aristotle said that the greatest virtue was a refusal to tolerate any insult and a readiness to strike back. Compare that with Paul's word. Live your lives in a manner worthy of your calling by being patient, he says. That's the third trait he mentions for a worthy life. Patience means endurance, not giving in. An early Christian writer defined it as the spirit which has the power to take revenge, but never does so. Another referred to it as a spirit which refuses to retaliate that's without bitterness or complaint. William Barclay wrote that it's like a puppy and a large dog being put together. The puppy yaps at the dog, it jumps on him, it bites him. The dog could put an end to it, the puppy, with one snap, and yet he doesn't. That's patience, Barclay said. A picture of God's dealing with us, bearing with us despite our impertinence. How many times did Jesus correct his followers for their lack of faith, their hard-heartedness, their lack of understanding, and yet he loved them to the end? He didn't throw up his hands in disgust and walk away. He didn't choose others that might be more worthy or more meritous. But he was patient. And how we need that virtue. When our child asks us for the 37th time in five minutes, why? Or when our friend asks our advice one more time and then one more time ignores it and goes the other way. Or when someone you know and care about lets you down. Love is patient, Paul said. And patience is often put to the test. It's a fruit of the Spirit, something which God places within us to grow. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling by being humble and gentle and patient. And the fourth trait, he says, is by bearing with one another in love. He's talking about unconditional love. It's Christ loving us even when rejected by us. It's God so loving the world that he gave, even when his love was misunderstood. It's his love that sets no limits or conditions. Paul told the Corinthians that this love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It does not fail. It does not because it knows God's love does not fail. And it's the extreme love Jesus showed sticking with us even when we sin and we fall. In 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul wrote, As you know, we dealt with each of you like a father with his children, urging and encouraging you and pleading that you lead a life worthy of God who calls you to his own kingdom and glory. Well, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with each other in love. And the last one, to walk a life, live a life worthy of the calling, he says... Hold on to your unity. The unity through, of the Spirit through the bond of peace, he talks about. Make an effort to keep it. It's a concern he had for the Ephesians because there were so many things that could split them apart and divide them. Different nationalities, different races, different languages, different social standings, different generations. Yet in Christ, what does it say? We are one body, one people. Look around us. There are a lot of things that could divide us if it weren't for the presence of God. We're not divided. We are one in Christ. 
We worship one Lord, he says, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. In other words, don't get hung up on the differences. Get hung up on the things that bring us together and unite us. In his book, This World, Playground or Battlefield, A.W. Tozer wrote, To many Christians, Christ is little more than an idea or at best an ideal. He is not a fact. Millions of professed Christians or believers talk as if he were a real, as if he were real and act as if he were not. Our actual position is always to be discovered by the way we act, not by the way we talk. We're not called not just to a set of beliefs or even to a confession of faith, but to a way of life. Live a life, Paul says, in a manner worthy of your calling. God is calling you to walk the walk and not just talk the talk, as the old phrase says. In a worthy manner worthy by being humble and gentle and patient and forbearing and united. In Colossians 1, Paul says, We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us to the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What step do you need to take to bring your life into balance. To walk the walk of faith. Is it to come to Christ? To let him to become a part of your life? To add that fan blade back on? When we sing in a moment, it's an opportunity to make that commitment. To commit and ask him to be a part of your life. Or perhaps it's an area of your life that you need to deal with. Maybe it's pride. We can let that come between us and God. Worrying about what others think or what others will say. Nervous about people looking at us. That can keep us from God. Is it gentleness, finding strength to control your temper or serve those in need? Or is it patience with those around you? Sometimes it's hard, especially with those that are closest to us. Is it forbearance or unconditional love? Is it unity? Perhaps you're separated. Well, as we stand in a moment and sing, it's an invitation time for prayer, for commitment, a prayer to seek to bring life back into balance, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And so when we stand and sing in a moment, we invite you to come. If there's a decision you need to make or a prayer you would like to ask for, we ask you to come. And as the worship team comes, will you join me in prayer? Our Father, we thank you for this day that you call us not by our merit, but by your love and the work and the merit of Jesus Christ. Help us all to live lives of balance, Lord. Balance because you're a part of them. Along with our work and our family and our times of recreation and hobbies and all the things that we do, God, that you will also be there with us. For it's then that we find that balance that we were created for in Christ Jesus. For we pray this in his holy name. Amen.